series with you that I originally did not know was going to be a short series until I got into uh, studying it, what I thought was going to be more like a one lesson thing about the blood of the covenant, and then I got into it, wow, okay, there's... So I'm going to take a little bit to talk about this, this important term. When, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the night when he was betrayed, he called for his disciples to remember him. And as he did that, he, he spoke of two things in which he wanted for them to remember. One uh, is called the, the bread in which he said, this is my body. And then in the other part of that, in taking the cup, he said, this is the blood of the covenant. I thought I would probably do this series on Sunday morning because we're coming back to Matthew, uh, Lord willing, next week. And we're going to spend our 2024, these first three months, finishing our, our study of Matthew. I thought, okay, we could spend some time there. And then as I saw, well, then I would take a whole month away from Matthew talking about the blood of the covenant. Maybe that's not a good idea. Uh, let's spend some time on Sunday night talking about it. And what I'm hoping and by doing this is, is to provide a, a greater depth to what we do when we partake. And, and some of the things that we can call to mind uh, when we are remembering our Lord and what exactly our Lord was asking us to remember in regards to him in that way. I think one of the things that is important to note is that in every record that we have of Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper, all four of those, he does not say, drink of it for this is my blood. But he says, drink of it for this is my blood of the covenant. And, and I think there might be a little bit of a distinction between just saying, well, I want you to remember my blood. Now, I grew up in the, the pews. I just kind of always heard that was there really wasn't a distinction was that, well, the bread represents the body and then the cup represents the blood. And I didn't really understand, well, what was the difference then? What exactly is being told to us that we're doing differently if we're remembering the blood versus the body? But observing that Jesus spoke of it as the blood of the covenant in, in Matthew and Mark's account, he says, my blood of the covenant and in Luke's gospel, and as well as Paul's uh, recording of it, they both call it the new covenant in my blood. So in, in both aspects, you have a, a highlighting of this is Jesus' blood, and it is establishing his new covenant. And he's saying, I want you to remember this. Now, what became a surprise to me is that this term, the blood of the covenant, is actually used a bit more frequently than I expected. And I thought only Exodus 24 would be the place for this. Uh, but it's actually going to take four lessons to go to all the places in which uh, the blood of the covenant is used in the scriptures. But uh, I think the first thought that Israel, the people of Israel would have had in talking about the blood of the covenant would have taken them to Exodus. That is the first time we see this. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus 24 tonight, and we're going to look at how that term, the blood of the covenant, was used by Moses. And then in seeing how that was used, I think we'll get a, a very rich understanding of what we're supposed to be looking at in terms of when we partake of the cup and Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant. Now, one of the things that I'm going to kind of do here in this is 
I'm not going to say at the end of this lesson, so this is the sum total of how you're supposed to look at the blood of the covenant. Uh, If it's fair to you, I'm going to say there are four dimensions, and tonight is one of those dimensions in which we're supposed to look at, because there are other places to go that are going to show us another point of view about what the blood of the covenant was ultimately getting at. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus 24 uh, is where we're going to be. And as we move into that, the setting of Exodus 24 is really important and very valuable. You have Israel at this point, and they are at Mount Sinai. And you might remember leading into Matthew 24 has been quite an experience. In Exodus chapter 19, God had told Israel around verse 6 that he's going to come down and meet his people. And then in preparation for that, he said... Nobody can come near this mountain. I don't, it, it, not a human. Don't let animals touch it. You cannot come near this God when he comes down on this mountain. And when God came down, the mountain was shaking and smoking and their trumpets were blaring. And it just was an amazing sight. And chapter 20 opens with that God began to speak the Ten Commandments. And that was such a terrifying moment that we are told in about Exodus 20 and verse 19 that God or that the people go to Moses and say, we can't have God do that anymore. <laughs> that was too much, too terrifying. We're told in the New Testament that Moses thought they were all going to die at that moment. It was such a terrifying sight. And so the people say to Moses, you go and talk to God and you tell us what he says. (laughs) And so that's what's happening in Exodus at the end of Exodus 20, chapter 21, chapter 22 and chapter 23 is that God is giving Moses the commandments and giving the covenant. And that sets us up for where we are in chapter 24. In chapter 24, you'll read there. Exodus 24, verse 1, then, and speaking of the Lord, said to Moses, Come up uh, to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, Abihi, the seventy sons, or the sorry, the seventy elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And so Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So notice the same picture is involved. Only Moses can come near to God, nobody else can. Even the leaders, even the priests, not even Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, uh, not the 70 sons. Nobody can come near, not the people, only Moses. Now notice verse 3. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all of the rules. So if I could put a summary right there. He just told the Exodus 20, 21, 22, and 23, and anything else that hadn't been said that was written down that God told Moses to tell the people right here. And so imagine that Moses comes and he says, here's what God said. And he starts telling them, here's the covenant. Here's the terms. Here's what he has asked you to do. Here are the rules in which you need to live by. You'll notice in the rest of verse 3, it says that all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That had to be an amazing scene at that moment. Moses comes down and says, here's what God says to do. And all the people say, all in one voice. What the Lord has spoken, we will do. Absolutely. We're in on this covenant. We are excited. We will obey. We will follow the Lord. 
verse 4. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, the 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. So I want you to kind of get a sense of the scene here of what, what's taking place. So after Moses tells them the law and after all the people agree to the law, Moses now starts writing down the law and he starts putting that all down. And as he's doing that, the other thing that you were told in verse four is that he arises early and you'll notice he builds an altar and 12 pillars. And the altar there is at the foot of the mountain, at the base of the mountain. And that altar is going to represent God in his part of the covenant. As you see, there are 12 pillars which are going to represent the 12 tribes of Israel and represent the people. So you have to have this scene in place. We've said the law. The people have agreed to the law. Moses has written down the law. And now we have an altar. And now we have the 12 pillars. All right. So now we're going to enter into this covenant and we're going to seal it. Verse 5. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. So get a sense of now all the sacrifices are beginning. We have the burnt offerings that are going up. We have these peace offerings that, that are going up. And notice the next picture then in, in verse 6. Moses took half of the blood. So we've got all of our sacrifices. Half of the blood. And he put those in basins or bowls. So I want you to see Moses now as the animals are slain to be able to offer his sacrifices. He's getting the blood and half of that blood he now puts in bowls. And the rest of the text says in verse six that the other half of the blood he threw against the altar. So already you're getting a picture that God is entering into the covenant. The blood is being thrown against that altar so there it is at the base of the mountain, the mountain representing God and all of his glory. There's the altar blood is thrown against it. And so God is now in on his part of the covenant. The blood has been thrown on that altar. But now notice what he does next in verse seven. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of all the people. <laughs> Get a sense that this is a, a long process. First, Moses tells the people, here's what God said to do. The people respond. All that is spoken, we will do. All right. Now we're going to offer sacrifices and we're going to get, capture the blood and the blood is thrown against the altar. The other half of the blood is put in bowls. But before the people are allowed to have their part of the covenant sealed, you'll notice that Moses reads the covenant to them a second time. He now tells it to them again. And notice the response in the middle of verse seven. And they all answered again, what the Lord, all that the Lord has, has spoken we will do and be obedient. All right. So now they're responding. We're going to do it. Verse eight's the key to this. So Moses then took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. That's the scene that's put forward is for Moses to stand up and start throwing the blood on the people. Imagine it's already splattered against the altar. And now the other half of the blood, he's standing there throwing it on the people. The people have said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. And Moses is throwing the blood and says, this is the blood of the covenant. 
This is representative of your side of the covenant. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. There are two immediate facets that come to light here in what Moses is representing as he tells the people, this is the blood of the covenant. First, as you're getting a picture about how the fellowship between God and his people is now established, is that you had God who was originally saying from afar, you can't come near, but now blood is put on the altar. There's his side of the covenant and sacrifices of peace and sacrifices that are burnt offerings are being made so that the fellowship can exist now between God and his people. And so this would be a monumental moment. I, I, I can't imagine that you wouldn't tell your kids for generations about how we were at the foot of the mountain after it smoked and quaked and God spoke the Ten Commandments and it was such a terrifying sight. And so Moses told us what the covenant was and he wrote it down in a book and then he stood up and told us everything that was in that book and told us all the words of the covenant. And then he threw blood on us and said, this is the blood of the covenant and we entered into this covenant relationship with him. And notice what that represented. That you will do... All that God has said. As the people say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. The blood is thrown on them, sealing that commitment, sealing that covenant. God is saying, here's my end of the covenant. I'm going to keep my word. And here are the people saying, we will keep the covenant. We will keep your word. And the blood is then splattered to indicate that they are both in fellowship together as well as the people are making the covenant commitment to saying all that God has spoken, we will do. One of the first facets that I think we would clearly see, one of these dimensions that is certainly coming to light, is that in partaking of the cup, there is a recommitting of ourselves to the covenant that we have agreed to. Because that's what the people are doing here. The receiving of the blood of the covenant was saying, we will do what the Lord has said. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. We will follow exactly what he says. And that blood was to symbolize that, was to signify that covenant being ratified. Now, the New Testament puts its finger on that in a, in a few places. I think it is interesting how 1 Peter 1 kind of starts in that. And it's a, it's a phrase that if you can easily not catch it because often when you're reading uh, New Testament letters, you can kind of whiz by the you know, author and recipients and greetings and you kind of, okay, get on, get on with it. But listen to how Peter starts this. In 1 Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. You will notice when Peter starts this, he makes a connection between obedience to Christ and a sprinkling of blood that happens. And one of the things that I think is amazing to think about here is here at Mount Sinai, the people have the blood of animals thrown on them. And this was sealing them into the covenant saying, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And yet here's the blood, but it's not the blood of animals that is splattered upon us or sprinkled upon us. 
Notice the movement is the sprinkling of his blood. It's his blood that is going to seal us. It is his blood that is pictured as if it are, is sprinkled upon us so that we can be a part of this covenant. Now, come back to Exodus 24, and I want you to see how this connection plays out of why this would matter so much. I want you to notice now in Exodus 24 and verse 9. Notice it says there, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on those chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. This is a a stunning result that happens. In chapter 19, God says, nobody can come near. Everybody stay away. Can't come near. If you do, it's going to be death. Even animals, they will die if they come near the mountain. And at the opening of chapter 24, you're even told, even though we have gathered the priests and the 70 elders, only Moses can come up. And now suddenly there's a massive change that happens. And in verse 9, it says, they saw the God of Israel. I'm going to leave it at that with you. I've, I've spoken on that verse before. I've had Christians come up to me and say, nobody can see God. And all I'm going to say is, you're right, but it says that they did. I don't know what, I want, what you want me to tell you. But it specifically says in verse 9, they saw the God of Israel. Okay, whatever that meant and whatever that looked like, it tries to give you a picture of it with the sapphire stone and the clarity and all of that. But I want you to notice the other part of the picture when it says what should have happened in this moment is is specified in verse 11. Verse 11, you think about these people coming on the mountain and they're seeing God. What should happen? They should be dead. Verse 11, he didn't lay a hand on them. He didn't lay a hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. No, they beheld God and they had a meal. They ate and drank. They sat down on this mountain with God and they're spending time with God and they're eating and drinking on the mountain. How could that happen? How is it possible For these men to be on the mountain with God, beholding some aspect of him and his glory and eating and drinking with him. What could possibly allow that to happen? The text, I think, has told us the blood of the covenant. The blood of the covenant has made it possible because they have been sealed with that blood and entered into fellowship with God. That they can now be with God and see him as he is. However you want to handle that verse right there. That he saw God and they sat down with him. 
That is a beautiful picture of what God is foreshadowing in terms of what ultimately is going to happen through Christ. In fact, you see that idea even in the writer of Hebrews when he talks about what you have come to. You, Hebrews 12, verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect now it's easy just to kind of there's been so many descriptions to keep just letting it fly by but slow down right here here's what else you've come to jesus the mediator of a new covenant and how's it end and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of abel the new testament is giving us these pictures that you have been sprinkled with blood You've been sprinkled with the blood of his son. You have been brought into covenant because of the blood of his son. You are now able to enjoy fellowship with God and enjoy the privileges because of the blood of the covenant that has been established in this. There is something just almost stunning and shocking to be thinking about how this could be possible, except here is God's answer. God is already giving in this foreshadowing how people are going to be able to dwell with God. There's going to need to be a great sacrifice that's going to use blood to seal the people, to put them into covenant relationship. And once they are in covenant relationship, that's going to allow them a whole new dynamic of how they can approach God. So what I want to do for the final few minutes for the, for this evening is to talk about some points of this one dimension. <laughs> there are many other dimensions. We'll talk about those Lord willing in some future lessons. But when we see Jesus, then as he sits down with his disciples and he takes the Lord's supper and he takes the cup and you can see as is divided among them and he says to them, This is my blood of the covenant. I think one of the things that would have been immediately important to bring to mind is that a covenant is being ratified with us and is sealed with his blood. He doesn't say, here is the blood of the covenant. And he goes, okay, uh, let's get some animals and we're going to have a new covenant through animals. No, Matthew's account and Mark's account. My blood. This is my blood that's necessary for this covenant. This is my blood that's going to be shed. This is my blood that's given for you so that you can be sealed by it. And as that would be done, then you would have as the disciples an acceptance of the terms of the covenant. What we are doing as we come to Christ is we are proclaiming to him all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And one of the things that, you know, I'll get there down the road, but there's, it's not without reason that we'll see the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 talk some about how there could be like an unworthy manner about these things. Because there's a gravity to what is happening of what we are saying to God in regards to what we've entered with him. That we are a part of something special. That we are saying we are part of this covenant. We have been sealed with your blood. And we will do all that the Lord has spoken. 
Which leads to then, I think, something that I think is really important to the scene of Jesus talking about the blood of the covenant. Is that we're recognizing that the only way to have fellowship with him is through the blood of the covenant. The only way that we can have any kind of relationship with him is that there needed to be this moment. Before Israel can leave Mount Sinai. They need to be put into the covenant that's made with blood. That way God can be their God and they can be his people. This is signifying that moment. The sacrifices are indicating that. And you're seeing that idea here is that we are recognizing as we partake that we understand it is because of his blood that was shed for us that established this covenant that allows us to have fellowship with God don't have time but man the writer of hebrews just traces that all over the place about how important that makes it for us to be able to be in relationship with him but let me give you one final thing the jaw-dropping part of this whole text is that they sit down and eat and drink and are beholding god and we understand that that's what that allows us to do one day you know there's the very same hope for us The very same picture of us being able to be with God. And that is symbolized that we have been part of the blood of the covenant because we have been sealed, because we belong to him. There is this wonderful imagery that we are able to draw close to God. Just like here in Exodus, we don't have any right to come near. We have no right for fellowship. We have no right to request of anything because we are lost in our sins. But it's the blood of the covenant that allows us to come to the mountain. And it allows us to come near to God. And it allows us to sit and enjoy this fellowship and relationship with him. And this is what I believe the writer of Hebrews is doing and saying, now you haven't come to Mount Sinai. But you've come to Mount Zion and you've come to a better blood and you've come to a better mediator and you have come to something so special so that you do not have to be driven out of God's presence, but rather the blood of the covenant allows us to draw close to him all the more. What an amazing dimension that Jesus would have in mind as you go back to the first use of the blood of the covenant And turn to his disciples and say, when you take this, here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember this new covenant that was created in my blood. And I want you to understand the impact of what that means to each of you. That you will listen to me, that you will follow me. And then in doing so, you will enjoy all the wonderful blessings of God. You have come to Jesus and you have come to the mediator of a new covenant into sprinkled blood that is greater than Abel's blood. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, I hope this will be an additional picture that you will be able to draw to your mind, an additional consideration of thinking about you are coming to him and you are saying, I'm recommitted to doing all that the Lord has spoken. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, It is absolutely stunning to consider all that was accomplished through the blood of your son. And to think about the impact 
that this new covenant has for our lives. Lord, to read in Exodus 24 that there was a moment where your people could be on the mountain with you and enjoy this fellowship with you and to eat and drink and behold your glory. It is truly stunning. And Lord, we look forward to the day when we will be enjoying the wonderful spiritual banquet with you for all eternity, enjoying your glory and enjoying your presence. Lord, I pray that as we think of the blood of the covenant, not only when we partake, but at any time in our lives, that we will think about the commitment to the covenant that we have made. Lord, we know that it is through the blood of your son that you have entered into this covenant with us. And I pray that we would not spurn that blood, but rather understand that the blood is saying to us that we are under a desire and an obligation to do all that you have spoken for us to do. Lord, forgive us for our failure in the covenant and thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for how you have faithfully and constantly kept your end of the covenant while we have failed it again and again. And Lord, I pray that we would be stronger in our faithfulness to your covenant and help us to understand, help us to keep it in our hearts that we will do all that you have asked us to do. We pray this through your son and our savior, Jesus, and amen. Amen. Well, we'll sing an invitation song and Lord willing next week, we'll look at another picture that the Old Testament has in regards to the blood of the covenant and a whole nother dimension that was used by those writers and speaking about what that meant for his people to be in relationship with him. Uh, I don't know how it wouldn't make us all the more excited to want to be followers of him going forward. And if you need to get right with God, I hope that this lesson encourages that for you in your life to think about what you need to change before it's too late. And to hear the words of God saying, you've entered into covenant with me. And there is great blessings that are a part of that. But would you be faithful to that covenant all the days of your life? So would you come to him tonight, turn away from your sins. If you haven't been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, to do that this very evening before it's too late. Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?